Hello, fellow nerds. Come in, come in to our cozy living room. The tea is on, the pillows are plumped, and it's time to get down to the important business of fangirling. I'm Heather. And I'm Stacy. Welcome to Free the Squee, a podcast that puts pop culture on the therapy couch for our enjoyment and hopefully yours too. As much as we like to put pop culture on the couch, we would never consider this actual therapy. You'll need to go pay someone for that. Stacy, Hello. Is it time for content and process? I think it is time for content and process. We missed it last time. We did. We probably had so much content that we couldn't process it. It was overwhelming. It was like a wave. <laughs> was that a pun? Is that a pun when it actually means the thing you mean it to mean, but you just use it in a different context? Is that a pun? I don't think so, but I don't think it matters. It doesn't matter. It was funny anyway. And of course, like me, it just blows over right over my head. Yes. Anyway. Okay. So content you, process. You had some content and process thoughts. I did because, so here we do this whole thing in menopause, which was super fun conversation, by the way. Yes. And uh, then I think a week after the episode, our episode dropped, our last episode, I turn on this new TV show called Julia, which is on a platform i don't know <laughs> it certainly is on a television it is certainly on the television um uh called julia which is a tv show about julia child mm, okay and uh lo and behold the very first episode she is what she is going through menopause fantastic i couldn't believe it it awesome. was pretty exciting yeah, yeah. she's having hot flashes and she's not really into sex and she's kind of just you know having the change and yeah uh of course we cannot resist having it tied to her fertility of course has to be about that so you know she goes to the doctor and the doctor just drops on on her like a ton of bricks oh well you're just going through the change you're just going through menopause oh Mm -hmm. no big deal it'll be fine which I think they still sometimes do. Yes. Um, just drop it on you as if it doesn't matter. Correct. Uh, but, um, which I will say my doctor did not do, which was oh, great. Good. Yeah. Um, and then, she, and, I, and I think this is true for her life. I think that her not being able to have children mm-hmm. was a very big thing for her. Oh, okay. And then this was a big part of this episode. And then she goes on to then be invested in developing her TV show. Oh, okay. Is that how true to life is the show? Do we know? I don't know because the extent I know about this woman is the movie made about her that was really a movie about a woman who blogged about her. Uh, Yeah. And then this. this. So my actual knowledge about her as a real person is zilch. So I do not know. My actual knowledge about her comes from, I think the 80s saturday night live skit oh so less than me (laughs) though i do remember watching her on pbs as a little kid because you know back when there were dinosaurs and stone (laughs) wheels there were only four channels (laughs) yes (laughs) 
And uh, PBS was one of them. So sometimes when I was waiting for Sesame Street or yeah. Mr. Rogers or Electric Company or Zoom mm-hmm. to come on, mm-hmm. Zoom, <gasps> Zoom used to mean something different. Yes, you could come on and Zoom, 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 zoom our room. room. Yes, you could. I remember. Uh, we could have a whole episode about three to one contact. Oh, my God. Well, I can see. even sing the theme song. I won't because I don't hate our listeners or you, but I can. Zoom, actually. zoom, 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 zoom. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. We should totally do We should totally do a thing on childhood. Oh, and nostalgia. Shows. Yes. Yes. Okay. Put it on the list. Anyway, um, she would come on sometimes. Yeah. She and the yoga woman would come on. The yoga woman. <laughs> there was a yoga woman. The woman who brought yoga to the United States was on PBS. Oh, and she holy would crap. do a yoga show. And that's how we all Got yoga. Uh, today I learned. Yes. Okay, well, now we're clearly going to have to talk about her. Okay, put her on the list, too. But okay. anyway, so I just wanted to follow up super quick on the fact that not only was there an episode of a woman aged appropriately, still alive, active, correct, living, uh, one of the famous ladies, Julie not, Child. And not 90 years old. Not 90 years old. <laughs> yes. Um, and we see some accurate menopause. Uh then I also remembered after we recorded about Samantha from um, Sex oh, and the from City. from Sex and the City, yes. Who actually had quite an arc around her uh, menopause journey. Yes. Who, where it was not tied to fertility. Samantha never wanted to have children. Correct. And I think it'd be interesting for us to go back and watch those episodes because it wasn't just a one, one-off episode. No. It was a whole arc for her. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so I think that would be super interesting. Totally. For some time in the future. So today for me, content process, it seems to be all about what we're going to talk about next. <laughs> um, but I do want to follow up on menopause. I'm also, my primary fandom has come back onto the scene. Uh, what is that? What is my primary fandom? What's that show you watch? It is this um, show called uh, Doctor Who. It's a very small oh. niche fandom. Not yeah. many people have heard about Hasn't it. Hasn't been around very long, Not right? Very, no, it's kind of new on the scene. It's it only is. been around 60 years <laughs> as of like last Thursday. Mm-hmm. So you can figure out when we're recording today. Yes. Um. Yep, 60 years. Longest running sci-fi show. Wow. Um, on television, I think it's beat Star Trek by like a year or two. Wow, yeah. A couple of years. So uh, it was a wonderful episode. Mm-hmm. Um, some old people and old characters have come back. Uh, some Are prob- we not doing spoilers? Because well, it's too I soon. I probably think it's too soon. Okay, okay. Um, and uh, so problem, some problematic storylines were rewritten and some representation there happened. was representation, yes. Uh, so maybe after give it a little bit of time, yeah. maybe we'll talk about and mm-hmm. and once the series of episodes, there'll be like four specials or three specials. Yeah, before it actually starts. Have aired, maybe we will actually we could talk about them. But yeah, that so that's amazing. what I'm doing these days. What about you? What am I? It's so funny. I was like, I have so many things that I want to talk about. What am I watching right now? Right now, we're actually watching Gilded Age. Oh, for sure, because dresses and hats. It's so pretty. So it's pretty. So pretty. Um, and I'm I'm fast. First of all, uh, if you're not familiar, Gilded Age, uh, Julian Fellows, the same person who did Downton Abbey. It's a relatively new series. I think it's on Max. Is that correct? I think so. We, yes. I will double check. But um, and it's dropping an episode at a time. It doesn't. The whole show yeah. did not drop yet, so we're still sort of early in the season um the acting the ev- the right everything about this show brings me joy one of my favorite actors carrie coon stars oh as the new money yes 
And uh, Christine Baranski, another one of my favorite actors, is the old money. And of course, they live across the street from each other. And they're just both so friggin' snooty all the time. All the time. And they're almost never on screen together. So I'm hoping that we're building up to that, saving that up. I mean, they are on rare case. they were yeah. last season so speaking of process actually that's an interesting thought like as you say that like watching characters inter like knowing the characters are going to come together that was true in uh the doctor who episode which mm-hmm. i won't say more about that um and in gilded age like this sort of build over the course of an episode or of a season where you know there will be a conflict happening that is a thing i love in media mm-hmm. when it's done well mm-hmm. and i think that's a lot about writing and that's a lot about the the um, acting, ultimately. Like, there has to be enough charge for me to feel that tension and like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, and t- again, back to content and process, it's very much about the storyline because in this season, it's about the old opera, which is the Academy of yes. Music, with the quote-unquote new opera, which is the Met, which is the hysterical Met. for us modern audiences because we're like, the Met is new, isn't like... So it's funny, yeah. but there's competition between the Academy Music and the Met, which Christine Baranski's character is with the old Correct. music and Carrie Coon's character is with the new it's music the new. and they're having a fight. So it's great. Yeah. Yes. It's so good. Uh, what, what else about so it? That's what I'm, so that's what I'm watching now. That's probably my most recent thing, but I actually have kind of a funny content and process story Yes. about fangirling over something, which... This is like a fandom podcast. Is it? It I is sometimes. I think it is, for sure. <laughs> so, we just have lots of fandoms. Yes. So I will talk about this a little bit later. We do. We have so many fandoms. There's so much media we love. Um, I will talk about this a little bit later, but I was at a conference, specifics of which don't matter yet. But I was at this conference meeting a new colleague, and we started talking about horror, which I think we talked about on our last episode just a little bit i might just a few seconds of horror moments anyway i didn't mention mike flanagan at all in this conversation mike who mike correct yes so i started so what i had at a content process level is i were meeting like at a conference like this there's hundreds of people and you're meeting people you haven't seen or haven't met ever some of them or you've only seen on zoom things like that so it was really neat it's an international conference between the u.s and canada other people can come to but most of the people there were either uh, canadian or american um, mostly um, within psychology again more specifics later point being i meet this person we're talking about i don't even know where we started something within the content of the um, subject of the conference and then we start talking about horror and i discover that she also has a thing for horror. And what happens is both of us sort of choke up on the bat emotionally as we get more and more excited and more and more into the depth of just how much horror we like. Do you begin to squee? We do squee a little bit. <laughs> and we're like naming things. And she has like a standee of Jason in her kitchen. And she's... Oh my gosh. And we have an identical experience where people have come over to our homes and are like, oh, you decorated for Halloween so early. It looks so cute. And we're like... Oh, it looks like this all the all time. The time. <laughs> so what I notice is not in terms of process is we're both starting to get excited. Initially, there's like five people at the table and everyone is talking a little bit about horror. The conference was in November, so not too far from Halloween. And then as the two of us start to get like really spin in, up, mm-hmm, <laughs> other people look mm, uncomfortable, 
curious. Also, it's a bunch of shrinks, like it's a bunch of mental health people sort of looking at us like, what's happening? And I don't, it's an interesting thing where you're so connected to someone who's like in the weeds and in the nitty gritty of the fandom and gets it, but not everyone around you is getting it. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself trying again, professional setting to draw other people into the conversation be like oh there's this piece or commentary that like brings other people in and it didn't work at all no (laughs) not even a little bit no and i was like all right so they're gonna go off and have their breakfast or go to their next talk and we're gonna sit here for the next hour yeah and squee and get excited over all of the intricacies of the horror season yeah yeah for sure because that is it's finding your tribe yes right but it's a tribe of joy and passion and interest which is a thing you can't find unless you're either telegraphing it. Right. Which is why merch is so important. Yes. Or you're actually in dialogue, in connection, in some form of relationship so you can discover it about each other, right? Right. Well, there's and there's a vulnerability in that disclosure, right? As I start to share the things that I'm very clearly excited about and this other person is also clearly excited about. There is a little, I don't know, people turned off is too strong a th- Uh, word to use or phrase more like they're just not as interested or they don't really have the content to engage with our process because it's not their vibe right but I could feel us start to spin and yes the more open I was about how much I love these things the more open they became and we went from there Mm -hmm. yeah but you're right there is a vulnerability in owning that especially if you're sitting at a table as we were with several other people clearly not in the same space that this person and I were well, there's a real energy. It's like hitting a nerve, yeah, but not the painful nerve, mm-hmm. like a really, really joyful nerve. Like yeah. it's like it's like the bells start to ring. Yes, right. And, and they do like you go oh oh oh, and you can feel yourself almost sort of like it feels like tumbling over internally and into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it was really great. So. That there was, I guess the process for me was it was really interesting to notice the discrepancy between this person who I really connected with and some of the other people and even observe myself trying to bring them in and then eventually just letting that go and really letting that be okay. I'm so glad you did that for yourself and gave yourself and this other person the opportunity to just have that connection and have that space. Because again, when we meet someone who feels that passionately about the thing, it just doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. Outside of our convention spaces. Well, right. Somewhere where I'm sort of expecting that, not necessarily at a sexuality psychology conference. No. It's, that's, I mean, that's even the funner thing. It's like, it's being out in the wild (laughs) and suddenly stumbling upon like this little bit of treasure, right? a wild fandom has appeared. (laughs) I'm going to throw my Pokeball at that. See how quickly I can catch it. I have heard you're supposed to catch them all. So I've heard that too. Mm-hmm. All right. So we need to go out. That would be such a game. Can you imagine like some game where you like keep track of finding your fandom in the wild? So the vision I had was like this road. There's, all right. This is diagnostic. The vision I had is like this shelf with all these lovely glass like cloches, like covers. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And under each of them is this sort of like glowing vibrating fandom thing uh-huh uh-huh so there would be i don't know maybe a raven in the flanniverse yeah. one and yeah. then clearly a spinning tardis blue right clearly right for right, doctor who right. yeah i could see that 
Mm-hmm. And does it light up when you get near a, a, a fellow oh, fan? It would have to. Yeah, totally. Light up and vibrate a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's like like um, uh, for sure. There's magical instruments that do that, right? Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm down for that. We we should build that game. That sounds great. Kickstarter or something. Something. Yeah, yeah. we'll get right on it. Yeah, or someone else go do that for us and then let us know. We'll buy it. <laughs> Keep us posted. <laughs> Round and round. It is Hanukkah movie time. I've had so much fun watching all these Hanukkah movies. I don't know about you guys, but we have our first guest, Stacey. (gasps) Heather, a guest? A guest? What? Squeak with friends. (laughs) We have with us today Annette Weirstra, who is the head agent, the director. I'm sorry. Yes. The director. title, please. (laughs) of agents of smooch another incomparable podcast and that welcome you are first guest at free the squee we are so happy to have you i'm so excited to be here because i love your podcast and i'm always very excited to hear you chatting and sometimes i send you both messages to give you updates on all my feelings and i'm restraining myself from saying all the things i want to say back to you so i'm excited to be here well, you know Yay. what, Annette? It is time to free your squee. I am freeing it. Yeah. No more restraint. Just <laughs> let it go, girl. I was having the same thought. <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> Annette, we're so happy to have you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. So um, Annette and I are not Jewish. Stacy, you are Jewish. Correct. Wait, and, wait, I am? Yes. <laughs> well, so you have said, if you are not, you are doing one kick-ass job of faking it. Indeed, indeed. No, I am <laughs> fully born and bred Jewish. You are correct. So Annette and I, Annette, one thing I learned about you about this is that you and I are similar and that we commit all the way. <laughs> it's true. I'm like, you want me to watch one Hanukkah movie? Cool. How many can I watch? In total, not just one. It's so true. You started saying about the Hanukkah movies you're watching. I'm like, oh, girl, I too am watching all the Hanukkah <laughs> movies, which is possible because there are only like, what, 10 of them? Right. <laughs> I found six in total in Canada. So I found six. I watched all six of them. I watched all the Hanukkah movies, as, as did Annette. But today we are focusing on Round and Round, which I don't know about the rest of you, but as far as I'm concerned, is the best Hanukkah movie. It was Hands so down. cute. Yes. So, so, so cute. So tell us about the movie. So this movie, most importantly, opens at 80s single night with 80s music. Hello. Thank you very much. Little treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we see our main character's parents uh, having a meet cute uh, and falling in love. And then we cut to Rachel, our main character, waking up to her alarm clock and her mother calling at the same time, saying, get your ass over here. It's the seventh night at Hanukkah, and you're supposed to bring the, Stacy, say the word that I can't say it. Sufinyot, the donuts. Sufinyot, the, the jelly donut. So she heads on over, but bumps into a guy in the train station, and the Sufinyot flies and becomes a trail 
dirt? No, what does he call it? Trail spice, I think he called it. He did. He laughed. Trail spice. Zach, our male lead, calls it trail spice because he runs into Rachel. The Sufino becomes trail spice all over the ground of a very clean, supposedly L.A. train station. Yes. Is it L.A. or New York? It's supposed to be one of the two. I can't remember which. I think it's New York because I think New she York. was coming, bringing them from one area to Jersey, was it? She is right, going Brooklyn? to Jersey. Brooklyn. Yes, just that, correct, because that's where the um, donut shop is, I believe. Though I yeah. did read it was actually shot in Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> most holiday <laughs> movies are. <laughs> but You're I thought welcome. that was an extraordinarily clean New York uh, train station. Anyway, we, we did have a little local reference. I don't know if you caught it. The boyfriend, which I'm sure you're about to mention, uh, says he gets a cold in the San Diego airport. You know what? That was not in my synopsis, but that's very true, isn't it? Yes. It is. San Diego uh, airport. Which is also not that clean. So here we are. <laughs> so here we are. Right. So in the train station, uh, douchebag boyfriend calls and makes up an obvious excuse that he can't come to family Hanukkah. Seventh night Hanukkah, which is very important to the family because he caught a airplane cold, which was that a thing? I didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, you can get given, you know, pandemic and all of, all of that. You do. People do get sick on airplanes. That is where airborne came from as a way to sort of manage that and bump your immune system so that you don't get as sick. It's a small controlled environment with recirculated air. Sure. But I don't know that I've ever heard anyone call it an airport cold. And isn't he getting like off the plane? Like. It's going to take a little while for that airplane cold right. to brew, which is why nobody calls it an airplane cold. So, yeah, he's lying. That's what I think. Clearly, we're, you know, we know who he is from the very beginning here. Oh, yeah. So we, she goes home, sans donuts, meets her family, uh, including her pregnant queer sister, her weird dad who tells bad dad jokes, her adorable <laughs> nephew, her mom. Um and kind of the tale begins. Initial thoughts. I just need to say, I found it really weird that I'm like, I think the actor's name is Rick Hoffman, the dad. I've seen him in other stuff, but I was like, why is he so attractive to me in this movie? Side note, did not hurt uh, the fact that I enjoyed this movie because dad is kind of hot. So good on you, <laughs> dad. That's how old I am, listeners, is I find the dad hot. I mean, there were other many attractive characters in this movie, but it made me laugh. And like the the whole dad of the bad dad jokes, iconic mm -hmm. Jewish behavior. I can't speak to other dads since mine is Jewish, but I can say for sure to make all the bad jokes and all the puns 100% Jewish cultural representation. He had one of, um, I wrote one of the ones down that he said that I thought was so funny. Uh, which one was it? It was uh, Snoop Dogg meets Dr. Dreidel. Dr. Dreidel. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. I also just really enjoyed the setup of mom and dad having the the meet cute on the seventh night of Hanukkah 36 years ago, which we learn is a double uh, 18. Yeah, right. double 18, which is a lucky number because is it, did you say it chai? Chai. And, which means life. And Correct. so, but yeah, so like it's a big night. It's really important. And, you know, knowing going into what the movie we were going into, I was like, hmm, little put that little nugget into the back of my brain and hold on to that. Um, but it's just really cute, right? So you've got the potential parallel 
And I kind of, I actually also would like to see that movie. Could you now make a prequel movie for next Hanukkah, please? Oh, I love that. Uh, It's getting a lot of great buzz when I was looking up Mm -hmm. some background. NPR said it's great. Like a whole bunch of people are saying it's great. Like it's, it's not just a great holiday movie. It's a great movie. So who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe we're going to get to see Stan and Joanna's story too. Yeah. Cause that would be yeah. fun. Um, and the smooch channel was kind of a buzz about it before they even knew that you were doing an episode about it. So. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Also, can we just say briefly, the person who calls it a mute, a meat cute is grandma. I know that is so dude, true. I love grandma. And I was like, grandma bringing in the Gen Z lingo. As we chat, we can talk a little bit later about some of the cross-generational stuff that was happening, but that was the first tip-off for me that we were going to start to see uh, language and culture across generations, which again, mm-hmm. very Jewish in uh, flavor. Stacy, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, there, are, So they use two different terms for grandma. Is that uh, just you can use either or is that delineating a relationship to like your father, mother's mom, dad? Zadie, so, I think. And yeah, um, so admittedly, I'm N of one, right? The okay. Jewish person in the conversation. And my experience of Judaism is not the same as everyone else's, obviously. Yes. Um, some people use Bubby and Zadie to mean gra- their grandparents. Other people use, so because Judaism's an interesting space, right? It is both faith and spirituality and culture in that there's sort of pieces that are true to Jewish culture that aren't necessarily rooted in the religious aspects. But because Jews are in so many places, we also pick up uh, language from other places. So I have a Jewish friend who calls their grandparents their nana and their papa. Um, right. I have a Jewish friend who is Hungarian and she used Omi and Opi. Um, so there's a lot of people that use different language, but Bubby and Zadie are, uh, are uh, not Hebrew, but Yiddish. So I think that's why they were picking those up here, but they aren't necessarily the only words. Like we didn't use those phrases or those words yep. for grandparents. Yeah. I like the word Zadie. I like to say mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Zadie. Mm-hmm. It's fun. I like how it sounds. Um, okay. So moving on, mom and dad, we find out are selling the family home to downsize and Rachel does not like this. And oops, Beck's sister-in-law. Uh, married to Rachel's sister, Shoshana, lets it spill that Hanukkah will be at their their home next year because mom and dad are moving into a condo. Uh, We get more fabulous 80s music from a mixtape, no less. And then the guests begin to arrive, including Rachel's very strange childhood friend, Cynthia, who has somehow recently acquired a very good British accent with a snobby attitude uh, and her... (laughs) Uh, prone to meddling grandma Rosie, uh, who interestingly was on my next favorite, in my next favorite Hanukkah movie, Hanukkah on Rye, which I would mm-hmm. also highly recommend, um, who introduces her to Zach, a nerdy art instructor who is not her type, but hold the phone because Zach and Rachel met before because he is the dude that crashed into her this morning and made the donuts fly, turning them into trail spice. The plot thickens and we are stunned. And most interestingly, we learned that he is a nerd. Um, 
uh, because he starts dropping nerd lingo, like D&D language and everything, and everybody perks up, right? This oh, is yeah. where mm-hmm. also the the double, I uh, say it again, is it Chai? Hi? Hi. Uh, hi. Comes in, uh, and then they light the menorah. We know learn it's the seventh night of Hanukkah. And then that a surprisingly competitive game of dreidel triggers a shocking turn of events, and the house <laughs> gets set on fire now can i just we'll talk about all of this but can i just say something so of all these hanukkah movies i've watched which um i loved most of them um actually i liked all of them um if i were to only know about hanukkah from hanukkah movies and um my in-laws are jewish so i have had the uh gotten to do hanukkah uh for like the last 17 years at least one night of hanukkah um so i do know a little bit about it from that one uh, family. But um, if I were to only learn about Hanukkah from these movies, I would think that the point of Hanukkah is like some very, very, very serious dreidel playing, because that <laughs> is the one thing that is, is true of all of these movies is like serious dreidel playing. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> um, that's not real. <laughs> Well, that has also been my experience. <laughs> so, okay. So again, end of one, like single Jewish person experience. But in my family and extended family and friends, the people who play dreidel are little, like probably maybe eight or 10 and under. It's kids. They play for seven to 10 minutes right. until someone gets their feelings hurt or is mad that they didn't get to keep the guilt that came on the present or whatever. And then it's done. That's dreidel. And it's little plastic things that sometimes they can spin and sometimes they twist with their hands and the thing goes shooting across over the kitchen floor. That's how dreidel usually works. I just want to say that the dreidel in this movie looks to be metal beautiful and about the size of a dice and so like as soon as they start putting in D references i'm sure all of you were like okay i was all i was in but now i'm really in yes but it totally that little prop awakened dice desire in me and i'm like <laughs> literally going can i think i need a dreidel like i <laughs> not part of my my cultural heritage but i fine for this little metal dreidel that i could spin oh, i want it so their other thing that is true is dreidels get used frequently as like decor, like on a table or across a mantle, because they are often pretty or some of them are wooden and painted. Other ones are a little plastic and there's a range of colors. So not only is there a, a spread, a schmear, if you will, um, of all of the <laughs> uh, dreidels across the space, the kids in each household also know which ones uh, spin the best. <laughs> so that's, that's the thing to know. So strategy. if you're going to play, right, it's strategic. There are also a lot of little dreidel toys for kids that like light up or sing a song or both. Some of them have a little like almost a plastic pump device that you sort of pump the spin on it and then let go and it shoots the dreidel out spinning and singing and uh, lighting up across the floor. So they are also fun in that way that, again, most kids are not using those to actually play the game of dreidel. Um, the sort of gambling version, but they are played with, if that makes sense. Uh, there there were two things that I thought were true. Well, there was one thing there's in the other movies. Uh, sometimes they um, spin the dreidel on the other side with the 
the yes. top part that which Correct. I thought was just something that my daughter's best friend did. And then I saw it in the movies and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, but the part that they when they were trying to figure out the inciting incident, which we'll talk about later, one of the guys uh, from the comic book says, oh, getting the foil out of the chocolate gelt. Gelt. It's really hard to do. And it's really important. I'm like, oh, that is true. Actually, that, that is true. true. Getting the chocolate Correct. out of them <laughs> is actually very important and very hard to do. So I concur. I thought that was very real. Anyway. <laughs> Um, okay, and so and then oh, that you're ahead, not sorry. wrong to come back to the the dreidel being pretty and sort of activating the dice desire. Mm-hmm. People do collect them. There's probably yeah. I don't know twenty five of them across my dining room table right now, and I do have like my little like a dice hoard. I have a dreidel hoard, um, <laughs> and one of them broke. The little stem came out, and I was devastated. Oh, no. So there is definitely an attachment to them. Um, though none of my dreidels are all like sparkly and metal like this particular magic dreidel was. Okay, are we ready to move on? Let's do it. All right. So after the house gets put out, what happens next? Rachel wakes up to discover it is somehow still the seventh day of Hanukkah. Back to donuts, back to douchebag Adam and Zach with his nerd box. Uh which his Zadie gave him. Uh, she's destined to repeat the seventh night of Hanukkah over and over again, but no one believes her except for Zach. Each time Rachel gets on the train to the party, she's more determined to find answers and break the cycle. And each time she finds herself crossing paths with Zach, who, given his love of all things comic books and sci-fi, is the one person who understands what's happening. With help from the employees of Zach's beloved local comic book shop, Rachel and Zach make an unlikely mismatched pair of detectives as they solve mysteries nestled throughout the story. With each loop, they treat science fiction comic books and movies like reference books, taking on time loop tropes like experiments trying to break the cycle. I think this is some of my favorite part of the movie as they did all of this delicious nerdiness over and over again. What do you guys think? Oh, I loved that piece. I loved everything, even the process of like trying to figure out what was happening in each, uh, like each version, each time loop, looking like that meme from Sunny in Philadelphia, like with all the strings going across. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was hilarious. I think like what makes a really interesting time loop story is like how they treat the loop and sometimes it's like you're so in like the same pattern and they have to like skip through because you're just repeating stuff all the time. I like how they very quickly, I think on the third night already started breaking out of the same pattern and introducing more and more elements as they went through. And uh, yeah, like, so then they started exploring and sort of testing the like sort of the limits of the loop, you know, like at midnight when they're in the club, uh, Zach says, oh, it's five minutes after midnight. I think you've made it. But that wasn't like it just when she falls asleep, she gets reset. Right. So, yes. Um, and the 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 little team of them all sort of going like, OK, so it's got to be something wrong with you that you're not doing that you need to solve. And then they start like systematically sort of like testing little theories as to like what could she need to solve a- and it was really exploratory, so it didn't get repetitive and boring. Because I, I, I find like sometimes I find even Groundhog Day. Sometimes you're just like, oh, we've we're 
where they're skipping through really quickly, but you kind of, it gets a little repetitive. Whereas this never felt like we were kind of getting into a rut with the story. It always was moving forward and sort of resetting the relationship, but in a way that kept feeling like the relationships with Zach and his friends kept building, which was really what kind of captured me, I think, in terms of a well-told story. I was going to use the word engaging, Annette, because I totally yeah. agree with you. Like I was felt like I was going along with them trying to figure it out. And yes. that part was wonderful, right? Like I was like, is this, and I got worried. I'm like, oh, is this going to be like a real trope? Like she has to do some particular way, which I won't, spoilers within our episode, we'll get to how it actually changes. Um, but I loved that I wasn't sure along with the characters what was going to make the time loop stop. That was great. And it's time loop self-aware, right? Like, so we're bringing in Groundhog Day. They bring up uh, the Tom yes. Cruise movie. They bring up Palm Springs. They bring up comic book time loops and like sort of all the, like, so it was very self-aware and like studious in how it yes. sort of like they tried to solve it, which was so delightful. You know, there's the scene at the beginning or early on where they have to explain Superman. They use Superman <laughs> to to describe spinning the dreidel backwards. Um, and Rachel's like, what are you talking about? Right. But part of what I think drives what makes it so driving um, forward changing and what makes it so engaging is really Rachel's character arc. Right. She keeps acquiring more and more knowledge. So she's able to catch them up quicker and quicker and quicker. Uh, about what they've already done, she becomes more and more and more competent because they keep forgetting, right? They don't know what they've done every time, mm -hmm. but she does. And so by the time right. we get kind of to the sixth night of Hanukkah, she's like, done that, done that, done that, done that. I love that yep. scene where they, do you remember the game we played? And she's like, oh yeah, the Hellmouth, we conquered that last <laughs> night, you know? <laughs> and she's suddenly this total nerd. She didn't know who Superman was the beginning. And now by the sixth night, she's like, you know, she's as nerdy and as down with all of it as they are, which I loved. Yeah. Well, and the way Zach looked at her at that moment and said, we finished that game. And just like, oh, he that was like, he just uh, was adoringly looking at her and knew, knowing she's yes. the one. Yes. Yeah, that's the moment they fell in love or he fell in love with mm -hmm. her, do you think? Right. <laughs> Okay, so can we talk about time for just a second? I know we're not through the plot, but I just have to mention it. That the Superman movie they're referencing is 78, I think, 79. It's I was a child. It's the first one, right? Theater. It was I the think... first movie I saw in the theater. So yeah, me too. Like four or five when I went to it. I think <laughs> I'm gonna look. Okay, it's I just checked. It's 1978. So here, first of all. I feel old. Second, um, the range of things, like the range of time travel movies, if you will, but also the kinds of nerddom and the way they talked about all of the things over time was fascinating. That like things like the grandma making the meet cute comment, because which is really a Gen Z sort of label, but that uh, a grandparent was saying that or things like these people, I'm assuming in their 30s are we guessing mm -hmm. um talking about a movie from 1978 like all of the, i loved those pieces the 80s music there was so many like across time references and then within nerd culture across time references some of the comic books that the friend pulls out were much older stories and then really very current stories i assumed the hellmouth was a buffy reference though that might be my bias 
but I, I assume that too. Okay, so good. So we have the same bias. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I loved that. That was one of the things I enjoyed. Again, it's, it wasn't fully fourth wall breaking, but in terms of being engaged or sort of the, the flavor of the story, there was so much about time and generations. And I thought that was great. Yes. I mean, generational connections are totally a theme here in this movie. Correct. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't have children, so I didn't watch it with anyone else. But I wonder if that makes this more of like that holiday family viewing, because there are things that speak to all of us, regardless of your age, that you're like, ah, that one hits and resonates with me and uh, makes it good for everyone to kind of gather and watch this together. That makes sense to me. And that, that's part of what I was thinking was happening, that it was conscious yeah. on both the Jewish cultural level and the content of the film and to be able to be watching with a family. I think that's a good point because there's also, even though clearly we're really focusing on um, Zach and Rachel and uh, kind of the Comic-Con, the comic book, Comic-Con, comic book crew there, um, you know, Seth and Andy and those guys. But, you know, um, Rose is not a small part of the story, the grandmother, you know, the Zadie character and, yeah. and neither are the parents, right? So we do have you know, a multi multi-generational characters that lots of people can, I think, relate to in their experience too. So it's nice. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love the comic book crew. They're so funny together. And even though, you know, none of them really have an arc, they're really, they're pretty full characters. Each one of them, mm -hmm. you really get a sense of each one of those guys there, which is yes. really nice. I think all of them, nobody, even douchebag, you get a good sense of him, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love how that's his name now. Oh, it's totally his name. Ugh, yes. ugh. He's just so disgusting. Yeah. Uh, especially like, well, there's so many things he does that's so gnarly. But, you know, even when he's like, he talks about Cynthia and is like, oh, I see why she's so annoying to you. You just want to be like, dude, you need to get out of this movie. Like, what are you doing yes. here? Mm -hmm. You yes. do not belong here. Do not belong. Right. I can criticize yeah. my people. You don't get to crit. You haven't earned your place. You haven't even shown right. up once. You don't get to criticize my people. Yeah. I also loved. Okay. So the whole within that figuring out the the loop part, they also are dealing with the douchebag and kind of getting her to break up with him or like confront him at least because uh, he ends up breaking up with her in a in a bar but then they're like no you got to go say your word you're you know and so like that whole encounter what i like as you're saying heather it's just there's so much richness in that encounter that you just understand their whole relationship right there and he's just taking her for granted he thinks she's very meek and she's convenient and he's like i I just didn't want to break up with you yet because I didn't want to leave you alone on the holidays or I didn't think no one wants to be alone on the holidays. And she goes, you left me alone on a holiday, which right. is like, yeah, exactly. You got to break up with this guy. You got to dump the douchebag. Which she does. And it's hysterical. Like mm -hmm. you have bad feet. So I'm, I'm done with you. <laughs> Also, yes. can we have a moment about like the physical comedy, the facial mm -hmm. expressions, their bodies? They were great. Mm -hmm. Like the hiss face she's going to make when she's going to break up with him. Yeah, that's her angry face. Is she angry face? It's like, oh, you just can't be mean to save your no. soul. Like a hissing cat. It was great, but not. It's like the cutest hissing cat you've ever seen. 
And then the little interaction with between uh, her and Zach afterwards and the way he's like, yeah, you, you did that. You, you did that. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the thing you did. All right. Good job. <laughs> so good. But he's also yeah. acknowledging for her. That was like a huge thing, even if it was mm-hmm. the dumbest and most ridiculous encounter. Like it was mm-hmm. really big for her to, to confront him at all. He always kind of has her back in each of these interactions, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like you can, I mean, obviously we know where the story is going. It is ultimately a rom-com, but it is so lovely to see the range of ways he has her back still with like a little humor and snark. That was great. And they had chemistry, right? Because sometimes you watch these movies and you're like, oh, this is like, I, I intellectually understand it, but I'm not feeling it, but I really did feel they connected and uh, had nice chemistry. There was a sweetness to that that was really great. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree that I have watched rom-coms from not just holiday versions, but others. I'm like, there is nothing here. Even yeah. with the script and the direction, I see you doing your soft zoom in on their faces and all I can see is no connection at all. So this was lovely to see that you could feel something happening. I thought that was great. So moving into the next part of the movie, basically the comic book crew continues with their quest to break the time loop and they try, they figure out that Rachel, basically, uh, I think his name is, and is it Andy at the, one of the comic book crew guys says, uh, there's something wrong with you basically. So, (laughs) so what's wrong with you? And she, she, you know, as part of her growth, I think says, well, there's this book and we find that uh, we discover that Rachel is a kind of secret nerd because she has a she's been writing a book about elixir hunters. Yes. So, <laughs> right. Yes. That and she's afraid of feedback. So they devise this plan to give her feedback and see if that breaks the loop so that we have another gorgeous montage of them working with her in her book. Uh, and uh, they all work together. She gets some editing, and we also discover in that that we see that Zach actually is quite a good artist, and he has drawn mm-hmm. this beautiful picture of the uh, um, main character in her book, which, oh, surprise, surprise, looks just like Rachel. Um, <laughs> a self-insert? <laughs> is that what we're talking about? Uh-huh. Wow. They devise they, a plan to get the donuts. Well, I guess what happens, right, is that that didn't work. That right. that nope. her fixing her novel doesn't quite work. So, okay, can't be that. Maybe the donuts have to get home without becoming trail spice. So they devise this elaborate plan of riding a dragon, saving them on a dragon, which is really a van with a dragon on it, which we never get yes. to see the dragon on it, which is very mm-hmm. funny, but but uh, saving them with the dragon, the van, the dragon van. Um, so they devise this plan um, to pick up the, the donuts uh, in the van and get them to the house safely. Um, and I think it's funny that it's this, th- and this is the seventh night. Um, yes. or the seventh time they've been trying. This right. is the seventh right. loop. Um, and this is the hardest time it takes to get Zach. Zach barely gets in the van. Can we talk about that moment before when she's yeah. trying to get, there is a shot. There's a like a little exchange right before that happens where she says, don't worry about it. You always believe me. And then in the scene where she's trying to get him to come right before he gets in the van, she says something about, why don't you believe me? Like she has this moment where he's 
it, you can feel it's the crux, right? Like the end of this is coming and the, the climax is coming because it is the time he doesn't believe her, even though she has multiple times told him the story and he's gotten in essentially the equivalent of the van. I think in part two, it's because she literally goes to his door, yes! shows up on his doorstep instead of them having like their meet cute moment somewhere out in the train station where, you know, you know, so it's like, I think that's a higher bar for her she set for herself to get across and i but i kind of love that she doesn't use his friend she she just goes in is so confident that she will be able to talk him into it and she does and then the friend was like just in immediately he's like oh uh-huh. i'm here time loop obviously it's true let's go right let's um, go yeah so i i love that she does it herself and because the easy route would have been oh, well your friend's already here so i'm not i can't be that weird right right well, and part of what's adorable is that this lady comes up to him and and says, I, I'm in a time loop and you were supposed to help me. And no matter how bizarre this whole situation is, he's such a nerd. He cannot resist it, yep. which is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, if someone came up to me and said, you've been helping me for seven nights and here's the story, I wouldn't be able to resist it either. I'd be like, <laughs> OK, all right, I'm down. Tell me this is real. Tell me all of this is real. I want it to be real so badly. Of course, I'll get in that van with you. <laughs> so is there a TARDIS? Because Heather's getting in it. <laughs> I'm in it. <laughs> right? Of course we are. So we're not tempting you with candy or with come see my puppy. No. We're tempting you with time loop is what you're with saying. time travel. Oh, time Excellent. travel. Uh, amen. Okay. So <laughs> lo and behold, the, uh, why can't I say this word? It's souvenir, but you can say donuts. Soufignon. It's kind of like the Hanukkah menorah thing, right? Like menorah isn't wrong. It is the kind of Hanukkah that you like. Like there's so many words like this, the Bubby and Zadie, like the the Hebrew word or the Yiddish word or whatever. It is, it's really okay. It is, most people call them donuts. My sister brought donuts for Hanukkah at my parents' house and she didn't give them the Hebrew word. She just said donuts. Donuts. You know, right. They're donuts. So that's fine. I feel personally challenged by this word for some reason. (laughs) The jelly donuts arrive safely. Perfect. However, disaster still strikes because who is waiting at the home? A douchebag. It seems he is turned on by Rachel's newfound assertiveness and boldness. Well, that does not fly very well with Zach, who gets pissed off and, you know, kind of walks out. Rose tries to save the day by giving an opportunity for Rachel to chase after Zach, but he's not having any of it. Uh, We do have a nice moment uh, where Seth uh, reminds Zach about the Maccabees, which is the story of Hanukkah. Yeah. And reminds him that there was a miracle, which is the whole point of the holiday. And he calls out to him, don't leave before the miracle, man. (laughs) Zach leaves anyway. I loved that. I mean, one of the things that is so good about this movie is, which was not true about the other movies I watched, except maybe Hanukkah and Rai, but all of the Hanukkah elements are are part of the plot. Like they're not just here to say, Oh, here, see, we're going to do this because it's a Hanukkah movie. But, you know, here's the real story. But all of these elements are are part of the story. Like it has to happen at Hanukkah. It can't happen any other time of year. It has to happen right now for this reason in this way. And I love that about it. Also, I have to back us up a half step. That moment when you were walking through that the boyfriend is there. 
I'm writing notes, right? Because I know we're having this conversation. And in my notes, it says, oh no, the boyfriend with like four exclamation points. (laughs) And then in all caps on the next line, it says, I hate the boyfriend. (laughs) He's so awful. But like, I think she she was able because she breaks up with him while they're in line picking up donuts earlier in the the day and she just does it so confidently because she had practice right she did it kind of like had the awkward confrontations and she says they broke up with them like basically every subsequent time loop she was breaking up with them so she's got she's practiced it so by that time she's like hey dude it's over it's done i'm like let's not even pretend this is a thing uh thanks for nothing bye-bye and you know click done and of course being the weird douchebag he is he's like oh but now yeah i can't have you you're so attractive to me right? i want you back and i'm like oh. i think stacy you sh- texted me at that point with that exact text <laughs> <laughs> and we should have seen it coming and i didn't and i was like i should have seen didn't that either. coming. i just like oh no i now we have an extra roadblock well it was great to misdirection with the donuts you know, yeah. Yeah. watching the donuts. It was, and I also wrote down the "Don't leave before the miracle" quote to get us back to your recap because <laughs> that really struck me as well. And mm-hmm. you're exactly spot on. All those pieces that are part of a Hanukkah celebration, sort of the the reason behind, if you will, for the holiday, were in this film. And that was a great moment. Where I was like, "Yeah, miracle of Hanukkah, excellent." I think they also distracted us because um, I hadn't mentioned it before but there's this woman every time that they're in the goldbergs which is the bakery where they get the donuts there's this woman who's keeps kind of engaging rachel and zach every time this time (laughs) it's very funny rachel's like don't talk to her don't talk to her don't talk to her and zach clearly is like totally gonna talk to her oh yeah totally about it and you know i when rachel goes to break off break up with Adam when he calls for his, you know, airport cold, as he always does. Uh, She comes back and Zach has clearly uh, not unintentionally invited her to Hanukkah. Yes. And and so you just get this sense of what is the point of this character and this woman? So she also feels like, and she's, she eats a donut in the van. So you kind of get this sense of like, oh my gosh, is she going to mess up the donut situation here? And it turns out she's an old friend of Rose's. So another like connection and generational connection, I think, comes in. I think her name is Mildred. Uh, So she's also distracting. So I think they've done a really good, they do a really good job of thinking something else, some other bad thing is going to happen. Not douchebag. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But then Zach leaves anyway. And Mm then Zadie, Rose, gives (laughs) um, Rachel the dreidel as she does every mm-hmm. night but this time there is a twinkle in rose's eye and while she doesn't say anything directly she says just enough differently that rachel figures out that that actually zadie knows that there's something about this dreidel and i think doesn't rachel say at this point that this is a magic dreidel for the first time mm-hmm. yeah i believe so yeah and so zadie says or rose says just spin the dreidel and find out. Mm-hmm. So they go into the living room for the massive competitive dreidel game. <laughs> and Rachel spins the dreidel. And this time there is a light shoots out of the dreidel. And she gets Gimel, which is yep. winning. Winning the pot, <laughs> which she's never gotten before. And she wins. Yep. And then 
uh, everybody screams and yells and yay, she wins. And then I think that's it, right? Is that the end of the scene? Yeah, but we also saw the dreidel like light up and sort of light sparkle up, yeah. and glow, which it did the first right. time as well. So that's an indicator that something happened. Which goes with, of course, Hanukkah is the a festival of lights, right? And the her thing has been to step into her light. Light, of course, has been one of the themes of the, the movie and then the... And then is the next scene with her dad? The next... Oh, well, there is that scene. Where does that come in? Oh, I think it was. That's right. No, that's right. And then... But she's very sad, right? She's very sad. Mm-hmm. She so goes she upstairs goes upstairs to her child bed- goes childhood upstairs, bedroom. And this strangely sexy dad <laughs> comes in and lays awkwardly on the bed. And you're like, why is this guy so cute? And they have this, this sweet talk where he confesses that mm, maybe the family mythology about mom and dad's love at first sight wasn't so true. And he confesses that he had been heartbroken and dumped. When he met his met her mom, they had to work hard at it. And he tells her to keep the faith and keep trying. And right? that he knows about the dreidel. No, no, that's no. Not that's not until the next, until the next day. That's, that's the next, next day? Morning. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I was so struck by that. I'm skipping ahead. I'm in a time. Okay, we, okay. I gotta get we to can that. skip ahead. We can see, unless we have something to say about the, about the ending here, we can skip no, ahead. Let's get, let's get to that point because that was like, one of the my favorite things about yes! this movie. The ending is so good. Okay, so let's like go. Rachel. So good. Rachel goes to bed, wakes up at her parents' house the next day, and the time loop is broken. She is overjoyed. Uh, Stan, her dad, greets her and reveals that the Hanukkah time loop, uh, he, that he knows about it, that it's a magic dreidel that, quote, only trips a time loop if you spin it on the seventh night in the presence of soulmates. And after seven loops, true soulmates connect. He reveals that the dreidel's been in the family for generations. The dreidel doesn't create love, just the opportunity for it to bloom. Rachel still has to figure out how to reach Zach's heart. Her dad reminds her that there are eight nights of Hanukkah and she has one night left. So Rachel has to go to the art show at Rose's retirement community. Uh, Zach is still resistant. But as they talk, Rachel realizes that there may be a connection between Zach's dice cake case and the dreidel. <laughs> so she puts the dreidel in the dice case and magic. Mm-hmm. Zach remembers all seven nights and they kiss. Yes. Then they eat like- donuts at Goldberg's. And then we see the families all together. With a full menorah eating more donuts. And we presume that 36 years from now, Rachel passes on the dreidel to one of their children after they light seven candles on their menorah. The end. Okay. Thoughts, words, <laughs> squeeze. And, and, and they play Stop the World by Flock of Seagulls as that's uh-huh. happening. Yes. Such and a I'm good song. Crying. Yes. I totally choked up too. I think the moment that got me was when Zach remembered because that's not a typical time loop thing. And I was like, I love that. Like that went from me going like, this is a good movie to being like, I love this movie and I'm going to watch it again. I'll watch it, like give it to me every year because that just, I don't know, it just felt so deeply satisfying. Yeah, that piece was great. I think there are two pieces that when her dad says the dreidel only takes you so far, mm-hmm. I went like I made a little sound. I was home alone, so no one got to hear me, but I made a little sound. <laughs> 
And then, yes, that sort of rush of affect, rush of feelings, rush of memory, the experience when the little dreidel like locks into place in that, uh, in the D20 box, that was amazing. Like you could just see it and feel it as it happened. It was beautifully done. I watched this movie three times to prepare <laughs> for today. And I still got tears in my eyes at the, yeah. at the end. I mean, this is for sure going to be one of my annual movies. And in watching again, um, her dad totally gives the show away way early. That's really? what's going on. So when she is getting gifted the dreidel, he's almost like sitting in the background because you're not wait. We're not watching him. You are not yeah. watching him. He's not in like super clear focus, but he's like got this huge grin and on my mind, he's like inside clapping his hands together, going, "This is it. This is it. This is it. It's going to happen." And uh, it, the sister-in-law Bex keeps kind of looking over and grinning, but it's like because you're not paying attention to that at the beginning um right having that and again not a typical thing of having the whole like everyone's in on it so it's usually you go back and nobody knows and nobody understands but it's like you have this whole family that can like discuss their time loops and what happened and every it's like oh i love this so much it's so clever and so smart and so well done agreed well in the conversation with her dad before she knows Mm-hmm. where he's telling her like it didn't happen the way we tell it it was much more complicated is also him to, like i get it she's kind of uh getting to a point where she's about to give up and being discouraged and he needs to give her a little pep talk but mm-hmm. without giving the game away mm-hmm. yeah oh the other thing i love about the time loop is that everything they did to break the time loop completely pointless it was gonna be seven nights and that was the structure of it and so all of their time loop knowledge from all these other movies and genres and books and everything completely useless but it's still i don't care like i still love it but it just is kind of this little joke at the end what you mean dancing the time warp in the comic book shop doesn't change it? <laughs> yes yes <laughs> for rachel to become the type of person that would fight for Zach, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. if she didn't go through those seven nights, she wouldn't have found her courage and her backbone and she wouldn't have stepped into her light. I don't know that, she, that when it began, if she was the type of person that would go at the end and tell Zach that I am worth it and that what we have is worth it. You know what I mean? So maybe yeah. part of it is that you need those seven nights to find yourself. I don't know. Absolutely. And the the quest sort of gives a good framework to hang it on. And it kind of gives them lots of avenues to explore that they wouldn't have done otherwise, even though in the end, they're unnecessary. It's like the real quest was their relationship and their connection. One of the things I really loved about this was that, okay, there was a magic dreidel, which I do (laughs) love, but the dreidel didn't do the relational work for you gives you a magical opportunity to fix mistakes that you make. If you don't put the work in, um, endless amounts of magic wouldn't have made any difference at all, right? Like you still had to be persistent and commitment and you had to be courageous. You had to kind of create your own miracle here. So the magic wasn't making someone fall in love with you. The magic was, okay, you can make a mistake here and that's okay, we're gonna reset. But if you don't keep making mistakes, you're not going to have a relationship. So you got to keep going and you've got to make it happen, uh, which I just think is absolutely 100% truth in the midst of this total fantasy of a movie. I think that is 
that is true. And that, and I wish I could reset all the mistakes I've made in my relationship. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing. <laughs> um, that would be great. Um, but and but then, she's learning from them, right? Like mm-hmm, that's part right. of it is each iteration and part of the sort of beauty of the mistake yeah. or the error, if you will, is that she keeps learning and they keep iterating forward. And all of those mistakes are the things that Zach remembers when he has that moment. And that's their connection. Yeah. That well, like, how Does much he remember worked, the mistakes? Tried. He worked. Well, the fact that they worked and they tried and they couldn't figure it out and it was sort of quote unquote wrong each time. Because those weren't the things that solved it, but also the way that they tried to solve it. Like I think about this for couples work all the time. It's it's the way you fight, not what you're fighting about, mm-hmm. that makes the difference, positive mm-hmm. or negative or neutral. So that's how that piece felt to me. Like it was the sort of what became connecting is how much work they put into making this work, even if yeah. the thing they did didn't fix it. Absolutely. 100%. But they did succeed in giving because she doesn't only get the boy at the end which is rom-com convention yes she gets the other prize which is the confidence in her writing and that her friend is going to present her book which she has now worked through improved got the feedback and is ready to publish so it's like she's moving forward personally and professionally which i really like because it just sort of expands you know and she she wouldn't have gotten there if she was only focused on the romance part. It's sort of those relationships that really, and that the quest is like the quest was successful in that they, they, they're getting her book published. And she's the one who dumped the douchebag. Yes. 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 That was resounding. <laughs> We're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I did for sure. hate the boyfriend. Um, the other piece that occurs to me is there's sort of a, I don't know if it's a Jewish story or a story of immigration, but that piece about wanting like to carry on a tradition, but for hoping for better for your children than for yourself. I think the, I think Rose says something about. Um, yes, I noted that too. Focused on survival. You can't really yep. take the risk of showing the world who you are. Um, and that part of the reason so many Jews took the risk to leave the places that were dangerous for them was so their children could leave th- live these lives and show the world who they were. So I could really feel that in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with both of you. The idea that it like getting the boy was not the only thing. It was getting herself, which would allow and facilitate getting of a boy who was a much better match for her. Um, that was magic. I loved that piece. I loved both that it wasn't just about the relationship but about her relationship with herself. That was wonderful. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I have any notes on like things I want to improve and I don't really feel like I do. I just feel like you did, you did well team. Thanks for making this movie. Yeah. You know, Linda Holmes wrote an article for um, NPR and um, pop culture happy hour. And she said this really well. She said, we, you know, most of us who are fans of Hallmark and fans of holiday movies, put them on a separate scale. Mm. Where we're like, where they're, it's good for a holiday movie, right? So it's mm-hmm. like separate from regular movies. But this movie is just really good movie on any scale. And I, I completely agree with that. And I'm so happy that back a long time ago when we picked a movie, a Hanukkah movie to watch together, and we had no idea about anything. And we just thought this one was fun because it was timey-wimey. Yep. I'm so glad we picked it because when I... <laughs> When we start, we started watching. I'm like, "Oh my god, we picked the perfect movie for us! How did we pick the perfect <laughs> movie for us?" It's yeah, 
So was it destiny? Was it a magical choice? Did someone spin a dreidel to pick this? I movie? think someone spun oh, a dreidel. Probably, did. probably really pretty one that I want. <laughs> <laughs> this was the only Hanukkah movie that had uh, any queer characters at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was really cool too. That was fun. I hope. I kind of thought. Oh, would it have been better if it was about Shoshana's and Bex's seven <laughs> time loops? But, but see, you know, I might two, be a little biased about two that. Spinoffs, right? That you could, you could. Right. The next one, let's go find out what happened with those two. You could use those same actors, and I'm here for it. And I've been telling everyone, I'm like, you don't need to be Jewish to enjoy this movie. It's a great story. You should watch it and make sure it's part of your holiday viewing. Please watch it because we really need the spinoffs. You know, Heather, it's interesting because I liked, in some ways, I liked that her sister and her sister's wife were like just sort of another relationship in the story. Like Mm -hmm. the queerness was evident by the fact that that's who they were with, but it wasn't a big deal which is one of my favorite ways for queer characters to show Mm -hmm. up in stories absolutely. because it's so often made the plot point. Right. So I love that they were like, yep, that's just the other couple. And yep. Generationally, they're the ones who will host the seventh night celebration next year. And that felt so natural to me. I really liked that. I think it's one or the other, right? So either it's their story. Totally cool. Mm -hmm. Or it's not their story and they're just part of the family. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's no weirdness about it. Mm-hmm. It's there just would be any other, yeah. you know, it's just couple in the story. Sister and sibling yeah, totally. or uh, sister and partner. Yep. One of the things I've really appreciated about all of these movies that has touched me a lot is the focus on gen- the generational context yeah. and thinking about immigration connected to the holiday and thinking about immigration and this holiday in the United States and the Jewish identity and having that identity in the context of this other behemoth of a, you know, holiday, Mm -hmm. having that identity of being Jewish and being American and having it slam up against Christmas Mm -hmm. and um, which is something that gets addressed in these movies sometimes and sometimes not. Yeah. Sometimes terribly so i mean just really badly and sometimes really artfully mm-hmm. but just getting an opportunity to think about that and thinking about that experience um i really appreciate it and um in i think in this movie in particular talks about that generational context so artfully because in the form of this dreidel right that is such an old 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 item both the idea of the dreidel itself and this dreidel in particular, that in its magic connects this family generation after generation. And the purpose it serves is to create the next generation. Right. It's just such a beautiful, just a beautiful storytelling method, right? It's just just kind of genius. And and it captures in content and process, Stacey. (laughs) um, It just captures the story I think in uh, is is what I've learned. Uh, well, what I can learn from Hanukkah movies. Yes, but I think this is authentic. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, one of the themes of of the Jewish identity and a theme of Hanukkah, and um, and they captured it in this Hanukkah toy of the dreidel. So, for me, it's I think what I loved most about the movie is how well the storytelling 
captures the actual story. So, yeah, sort of communicates yeah. one of the central themes of Judaism, that intersection mm-hmm. of family culture and uh, spiritual mm-hmm. or religious identity. And that is like within Judaism, that's not that I'm the scholar of that, but there is this sort of relationship with God or relationship with the faith and then relationship with family and relationship within community. And it's all, there's so much about acts of service in those spaces. And it really is like embedded into the into the belief system. So it makes sense that this particular holiday, which is so much about faith, right? That these the oil that should have only lasted for one night lasted for eight um, because of the faith and belief that it could. That is the miracle, right? Um, I love that that carried through and it's a little bit tangential, but related like Hanukkah in and of itself isn't like that sort of big a holiday. I would say Passover or Pesach is probably the biggest in terms of religion. And then High Holy Days, uh, obviously, which would be uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those are the times people typically go to synagogue, etc. So we're not likely to see a, I don't know, a Passover movie because there aren't really Easter movies in the same way there are Christmas movies. So I think there's mm-hmm. some sort of capitalism process that makes the Hanukkah movies show up the same time as the Christmas movies. And it is also true that because of that system, there has been more visibility and more marketing and more products. And I sit in this kind of funny place, speaking of generations, because in my family growing up, Hanukkah was a big deal and we did get presents and we did spin dreidels and we did all of that stuff. Not every Jewish family I knew did that, but a lot of us did. So now that we're sort of, you know, Gen X older, we have our own families and our own kids. And I notice a lot of people kind of like the couple, because this couple would have been age-wise, the parents are kind of a Gen X like bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, my Hanukkah decorations and like all the things all over their house, their lights and the streamers, my house looks like that. Uh, when I was a kid, we had like maybe two or three little streamers because you couldn't go on Amazon and order Hanukkah decorations. Mm-hmm. That was not a thing. They weren't in the stores. You'd be lucky to find wrapping paper that was blue and white. Like that was not the deal, but it's everywhere now. So at one level, I can say, all right, capitalism, you're not my favorite. And at another level, I love that my house is covered in blue and silver and white and sparkly little dreidels and all of that. There is some magic in that for me. So, Heather, to bring it back to your idea, there is something about sort of this iteration of a Jewish celebration and this uh, generation that I'm carrying forward to my kids. It looks different than what I had, but it carries that sort of connected familial tradition piece forward, right? And the big tradition song and Fiddler on the Roof, like that's really central to identity mm-hmm. for me. And I definitely mm-hmm. felt that in this film and carry it forward to my family. I think the other thing that picks up that same theme that you're talking about, Heather, is the food. Because um, yeah. all of all of these movies are there talking, and I'm, I already knew about latkes. Mm. They sound delicious. I know they're delicious because Stacy did uh, the cardinal error of giving me her <laughs> secret family recipe, which if I've learned from all of these movies, you should not do so. Thank you. And I made them, and I love them, and they were delicious. But I, yes. I, I think it's it's that that connective tissue of nostalgia and memory and like feeding the same, eating the same things at the same times and connection. And 
it also for me resonates because I that's one of the things that carries through my Dutch culture is mm. is the food. So while I'm I'm not sharing the same culture, I can understand that sort of connective tissue that comes through the sharing and passing down of recipes, which is something that's really important to me. And so when I'm watching these movies, they are both I'm learning something new, but also feeling a deep understanding for that that feels both universal and specific, if that makes yes, sense. It does. Yeah. Well, and the two big foods they talk about are latkes and donuts, right? Which are mm-hmm. both fried, which is why they are connected to Hanukkah because they're fried in oil. Yeah. 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 And it, that was like something I learned. I also feel like I could almost sing the Hanukkah song with you now, almost, but not. Oh, really. the prayer over the candles? Yes. You could yes. burrata with me? Almost. I feel like if I had a little practice, but I'm like, I would come to your house, Stacey, and I'm ready. Like, give me the words and I'll I'll go through Dutch is a little semi language. Uh, yes. So I can get that in there. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm ready and I, I would love it if we didn't live so far apart. Me too, because all of the movies, this is the only movie that didn't sing. Mm. the prayer of the candles mm-hmm. all the other movies sang it and they all sing the same tune so mm-hmm. it must be a very 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 common tune to put to the prayer yes um uh but i swear i was it was in my head the tune was in my head but mm-hmm. the words are very difficult mm-hmm. i think if you don't speak hebrew if you're not familiar <laughs> with the hebrew correct yeah, if um, you're not familiar, and what, it's a challenge. What I think many people, I mean, it depends on how much Hebrew familiarity you have, but like what we have at our house for folks who are trying to say it is the English phonetic version, because I can't mm-hmm. read the Hebrew. Like, Oh, so, yeah. Right. No, it's like the phonetic little uh, syllable by syllable English-ish um, version of the prayer, because the, the Hebrew is there as well, but I don't, I don't read Hebrew. Um, and truthfully, that that song or that cadence is like that's um, I have that memorized. I'm not reading it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just sort of am reciting because I know. Yeah, can we actually talk about language for just a second? Sure. Because there was a like, in my humble opinion, a perfect sprinkling of Yiddish throughout this film. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when I see films that are sort of like dominant culture films about Judaism, there's just kind of a what feels like a heavy dose of Yiddish, or unless that family is like actively speaking Yiddish, which some people do as a primary language, but many people do not. Um, sometimes it just feels like they're just sort of putting it in there because it's a Jewish movie, so you're supposed to have Yiddish in there. <laughs> this did not feel like that. This felt like the words were intentional. They were, again, used across different generations, right? Um, and they were not they were mostly more common Yiddish words, but not solely, like not everybody knows Bubby and Zadie, for example, um, or Bubba and Zeta, which is another way that's said. It isn't always the other version. Um, so I loved that there were just a few of them used occasionally, but everyone knew what they meant. That was great. That's nice to hear. I bet the writers would really like and that. It never is a barrier for, for someone like me who doesn't speak it to understanding anything that's going on because they either explain it or in context Right. It's clear. And I think there's a decent chunk. This is an American Jewish film, right? So there's a decent chunk of Yiddish that people are familiar with. Like, I think a lot of people know what Schwitzing is, which mm-hmm. is the like the mm-hmm. sweating, right? Yeah. Schwitzing is actually an iteration of Schwitzig, which is a German word for sweating, because um, Yiddish is a sort of compilation of a bunch of different languages that started in the 1300s, if I remember correctly. 
Um, and it has like iterated forward. There's old Yiddish and there's middle Yiddish and there's new Yiddish and there's Eastern Yiddish and Western Yiddish. So it keeps changing and adapts originally some mostly Hebrew and Aramaic, but also has come forward with pieces of Slavic languages and pieces of the Romance languages. So sometimes the word is close enough to another word that people have heard, or they've heard it so frequently, like Schwitzing is one that a lot of people use, or Schlepp. Mm -hmm. um, a lot mm -hmm. of people use schlep. They don't know that that's a Yiddish word necessarily, but it absolutely is. Um, my favorite thing about Yiddish as a side note is that every <laughs> Yiddish words come with emotion. So speaking as a therapist, that's my favorite. You don't just schlep to the store. You're like, oh my God, I schlepped all over town to do whatever. Like, <laughs> it's like an affect laden word. And I love that. So that's what makes right? it so good. Right? Yeah. 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 Like if you can find like if, it's not too weird to use the Yiddish word because it's common enough that I could use it. Yes. It's, that's what makes it so amazing is because you can add this like mm, to it. It's so good. Yes. Sorry. No, don't apologize. That is exactly <laughs> correct. Any final thoughts? I want to go watch it again. <laughs> I think you should. You should. You should definitely do that. I just wanted to say I have not said my favorite line of the whole movie yet. <laughs> okay, I'm going to die if it's the same favorite line because I have one too. Go. Okay. My favorite line is, your Zadie is an OG level 20 arch druid? <laughs> I love that so much. I think she must be a friend of Rose's too. Brett, I realize you are so queer that you see all things as girl, but Zadie means grandfather and Bubby means grandmother. Get it straight. Because clearly that dice box and the dreidel have met before. Mm -hmm. Oh, Ooh, that's interesting. I think. Don't you think? That's another spinoff right there. <gasps> mm -hmm. Okay, Stacy, what's yours? Okay, so my favorite, I'm pretty sure it was her dad that says it is, what is that? Was that a hint I just dropped? <laughs> no, that was uh, Zach when he was is inviting. Zach who says it? He was inviting Mildred to, to Hanukkah and she yeah. was not picking it up. <laughs> That's right. That was so funny. It was so It's like, not inadvertent invitation. Oh I know. It was great. That I literally wrote it down. You are totally going to use that. I, I know that that line is going to come at me in the future. Look, I am Jewish. We pick up traditions. Didn't we just talk about this? <laughs> Annette, thank you so much for joining us. It was so fun to have you. Thank you so much. This was such a delight. And I am just happy to be inside the podcast instead of listening to it this week. Yeah. We're so happy to have had you. You are welcome to come by anytime to free your sweet with thank us. Thank you. Well, dearest listeners, the teapot is empty and our time is up. Please join us again for more Squee. And if we're really lucky, some actual psychological insight in the world of pop culture. See you next time. <laughs>